man. You guys have me extra nervous today. It's like preaching in front of family. You don't never know how it's going to go. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, man, I'm excited for this morning. Uh, so here's what I'm going to do. We'll get it out of the way. I'm going to talk about uh, Youth Alive for a little bit, chocolate cake a little bit after that. And then we'll talk about what God's put on my heart for a sermon after that. Sound good? Um, I, I'm pumped. Uh, you know, Shauna and I are, are happy to be back. We, uh, we are trying to make it a habit to come back once a year. And we were driving past our old house. Uh, two, we actually got two out of the, we lived in three places. We got to see two of them yesterday. Driving around, we're all sentimental and teary-eyed. Um, and Shauna was like, can you move back? And I was like, do you see how many cornfields are here? No. <laughs> No, but those cornfields leave a mark on your heart, don't they, right? And, and uh, so we live in Winchester, Virginia. I'm the Youth Alive missionary. And uh, so basically, the Youth Alive is all about this. We want to help people share faith better. That's it. We'll help you share faith better. How many of you believe that sharing your faith is important, yeah. right? If God is who he says he is, which is kind of a ridiculous thing if you think about it. Like, we believe that, like, there's a big incredible being out there and we call it God and that God cares about us and cares about us enough to come in the form of a, a person through a virgin of all things and then not only did come down but then lived a sinless life and then died and then was buried in a grave said forget that rose from the grave which I've never heard about and then Iron Man up to heaven after that and then said, that's not enough. I'm going to send you this spirit that's going to live inside of you. And because you have that spirit, it'll help you throughout life. And you can speak in a language of angels. It's like, what? But if it's true, it means that we believe that there's this all-powerful being who loved us so much that he came down as a man, not only came down but conquered sin and lived a sinless life cared enough of us not just to live a life but die a death that conquered death didn't let death have the last word but rose from the dead then left for heaven but didn't want to leave us alone and so gave us his spirit to empower us to minister to the world around us and he did all of this through the miraculous birth from a virgin woman so that we wouldn't be by ourselves and alone that's pretty awesome too right See how you can kind of take the same thing, say it a little bit different, it doesn't sound so ridiculous, right? Here's the thing, I think we can share faith better. And so our, our goal is with students, with leaders, and with churches, we want to help you share faith better. With middle and high school students, we want them to share faith with their friends better. With leaders, right? Pastor Tim needs some leaders to help at youth group. A lot of people don't help in youth ministry because they either don't like teenagers. My answer to that is we all don't like teenagers. You're not special. <laughs> nobody, nobody sees four 14-year-olds roll up and is like, this is a great Saturday. <laughs> nobody likes them, right? And the other reason is people, people tend to think like, I don't know enough to help them, right? And to that I say, have you breathed more than 14 years of your life? <laughs> then you know enough, right? Because when you're 14 years old, you have no confidence, right? And so we want to help leaders give students confidence to share their faith. 
And then churches, we want to help them connect to their public school systems and to share and build relationships with them. Because here's some stats. I'm going to throw you really fast before we get into our sermon, okay? 98% of church growth is what we call transfer growth. That means it's just people moving from one church to another church. That means that only 2% of church growth is people, new people coming to know Jesus. Did you know that? All right. Of the 2% of people who come to know Jesus, 97% of them do so before they graduate high school. This tells me that the biggest field, the biggest mission field then, is students. It's got to be students, right? If that's where people are coming to know Jesus, then we should be putting our energies there. But when we started doing research on our end in Potomac District, which is all of Maryland, 80% of Virginia, and one-third of West Virginia, 8% of churches had some kind of focus on their public school system. So we said, we got to share faith better, right? So we do that in two different ways. We share faith better. We help people share faith better. They can dig into some of our resources by themselves, our podcasts. We've got downloadable stuff, videos, all kinds of stuff that they can dig into. Or we can do stuff that's in person. We do everything from workshops, speaking like this Sunday, to school assemblies where the schools pay us to come in and bring a message of hope to students. So that's what we do at Youth Alive. And this is the team that does it. I wanted to bring this picture because for four years, I did it all by myself. It was, and then Shauna helped me whenever she could get away from the kids. Right? She, she helped me as much as she could. Um, but because of your guys' faithful support, mission support, because you guys have partnered with us to do that, I no longer have to do it by myself. We've got Jonathan, who's a 20-year-old kid we found at a church. He wanted to do video, so we said, come on, right? Join us. That's me. You know me. That's Bobby. She graduated high school. She helped do some stuff with us. That's Seth. He's 40 years old, quit his job, and worked for me for pretty much nothing because he believed in the mission so much. And so we pay him way less than he's worth, but he sticks around anyway. And then that's Amy, who she's coming on board to be our school connections coordinator. So if there's a church who's like, hey, we want to connect with our schools, I put her in in touch, and, and they work on how to build good relationships with their school systems, right? I don't have to do this by myself, but because you guys have been so faithful. And so to that, I say, after four years, thank you, thank you, thank you. So... So the main thing you need to know about our team is we love chocolate cake, all right? That's the most important thing, because chocolate cake is good anytime you want chocolate cake. If it's three in the morning or three at night, chocolate cake. Well, I guess that's the same thing. Chocolate cake, Jesus, my man, right? He knows, all right? Chocolate cake is so good. If you wake up three in the morning and you got a tinkle and there's a slice of chocolate cake (laughs) on this counter... I'm not disciplined to not take a forkful. Like, I'll grab my, I'll just, a little one, right? It doesn't count, right? So I love chocolate cake. Chocolate cake is good if you're by yourself, right? It's good if you're in a group of people. If you're happy and you want to make everybody excited, bake a cake. Bake a chocolate cake, right? If you are all by yourself and sad, you know who your best friend is? Chocolate cake. <laughs> right? If you're having a, a great time out with friends, you've got chocolate cake. If you just got your heart broken, you know what putties up the cracks of a broken heart? <laughs> Some chocolate cake. 
Here's the deal. We at Youth Alive, we say we serve a chocolate cake Jesus. We serve a chocolate cake Jesus because he's good anytime you need him, good or bad, happy or sad, three in the morning, three at night, by yourself or in a group of people. But a lot of us will treat Jesus like salad. Like, I'll do it if I have to. I know it's good for me, but unless the preacher makes me laugh or the worship's good, that's like croutons and ranch. Then I'll take it. <laughs> right? But I don't serve, I don't serve a salad just because salad is selfish. If I've got a salad and I'm eating me a, co- a cob salad and I try to hand it to Art, that's gross. <laughs> right? But you can share chocolate cake. Everybody's got a sweet tooth. But here's what I think we do is I think we look at Jesus like he's salad and then we're salad salesmen. And we're like, hey, hey, do you want some of this? We're like insurance salesmen. But that's not how we have to communicate Jesus. We can communicate Jesus better because if you've ever had a good slice of chocolate cake, you tell everybody. You're like, you need to go down to Molly's house. She's got the best chocolate cake I've ever put in my mouth right? Because we share things we love, right? And so we use chocolate cake as our fun example of if you're here this morning and you're nervous about sharing your faith with somebody, let me just take a second and tell you, you serve a chocolate cake, Jesus, right? You serve something that should be easy to share. And that's what Youth Alive does. And I get to do it because of your guys' support. So thank you. I love you. Let's talk about Jesus. You good? That's Youth Alive. Lord, thank you so much for today. I pray that you will help us to focus on what makes preaching effective, Lord. That's the moving of your Holy Spirit. God, I pray this morning that you would um, shift our hearts in a way and help us to focus on you. In your mighty name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Amen. All right, the title of my sermon this morning is called Again and Again. And uh, the word again is usually negative. In my head, right? If you, how many of you have had to do something that you've already done and you go, <sighs> right? The laundry is done and you got to fold it again, right? Right? I've got two kids. One of them is still in diapers. I don't know how a child poops so much, but I've got to change a poopy diaper again, right? You, uh, you have all these things that we have to do over and over and over again. I have to tell my kid no all the time. It's Chase. It's always Chase. If you've met my two kids, I've got Davis, I've got Chase. It's always Chase. <laughs> right, so with Chase, I say, you know, I have to say no again and again and again and again and again. Right? We're on the Eastern Shore. I know there's a lot of manly men here on the Eastern Shore. Right? So, like, if you're cutting a piece of wood, right, you need the right measurement. And you come up, you know, an eighth of an inch short and it's too big of a gap. You got to go do it okay. again. There's nothing worse Then doing something, again, my wife is beautiful, amazing, loving, and kind. She only has one flaw, and that is that she waits until I go up the stairs, get in bed, am under the covers, the warmth has cocooned me, and my eyes are fluttering with sleep before she says, babe, can I get a cup of water? And then I got to go all the way down, make sure there's no monsters downstairs, lock all the doors, get some water and come back up. We don't like the idea of doing something again and again and again. What we do like the idea of doing is something new and fresh and fun 
right? We, if I said, hey, I'm going to give you a trip to the place that you've always wanted to go but you've never been to, you'd be like, yes. Why? Because it's new and it's fun. But if I tell you to do the same thing again, nobody likes it, right? But that idea can kind of worm its way into our spiritual life because there's a lot of things that we do in our spiritual life that we have to do again, right? You come to church, again. You put that tithe check in there, again. Now, I know you guys all do it with a joyful heart, cheerful givers, all of you, right? But I know sometimes me, when I'm writing the check, I got to do it again. I got to read my Bible again. I read it last month. Isn't that enough? Right? I got, or sometimes things get heavy and we, we're like, I, I need to pray through this again. Or we go to worship and we're like, I, we got to sing, I got to do this again, but it's hard and we don't want to have to do it again. Or we got to forgive again. Or we got to lead well again. We got to give grace again. We got to volunteer again. There's a reason nobody's down in the nursery four weeks a, a month, right? Because when you got to do it again, it gets tiring, right? But so I think what happens is we don't like to do things again, and it worms our way into our spiritual life, and then we feel bad because we're tired of doing it again and again and again. Am I the only not holy one in the room? <laughs> you guys are looking at me like, oh, never. <laughs> I walk into church with my head high and my wallet open every time. It's tough to do things again and again, even as a father and as a husband, it's hard to be a good husband all the time, and a good father all the time, and a good pastor, preacher, missionary all the time, and a, new, a good boss all the time. And sometimes I stink at all of them in the same day, and I get home, and I feel worthless, and I go, I feel like this again. I feel like it again. But then I go, I should pray again. I should worship my way out of this. I should call a friend and find some community again. But I'm not supposed to be this way because I'm supposed to be a strong Christian. And so then I just eat it again and again and again. And it chisels away at my insides again and again and again. But I want to reframe the word again. And I want to do it through the story of Naaman. Can we do that? All right. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but you'd be willing to say, Pastor Aaron, sometimes I feel you. I feel what you're putting down. Right? And I think this guy named Naaman in 1 Kings, or in 2 Kings, sorry, is in this same position. Okay? So let's go ahead and turn to it. I'm going to give you 2 Kings chapter 5. You guys go ahead. If you've got your Bibles, you can go to verse 11. I'll meet you there. I'm going to give you guys a little bit of quick Bible story so that we can be good on time here. Okay, so Naaman is an Aramite general. Okay, so he is the general of a nation who does not believe in God. That part is important. Okay, he also has this thing called leprosy. So it's any kind of skin disease. The leprosy that we know, if it was that, was, uh, it kills the nerves on your skin. And so in the Holocaust, people who had leprosy would lose digits of their fingers at night to rats nibbling on them because they couldn't feel it. 
So he's got this, this man who was a mighty soldier, the Bible says, now can't use his hand, which is something you need to be a soldier. And he's from a nation that doesn't believe in God. And while he's trying to figure out what to do, a young servant girl from Israel says, hey, there's a prophet in Israel named Elisha. You should go see him. Now, at this point in the story, Israel has done the thing that they do all through the Old Testament. They sin, and then they come back to God. And then they make mistakes, and they sin, and they come back to God again and again and again. Right? So they do this over and over. So much so that now there's two nations, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. And so Elisha is in the court of the king, and the king does not want to let Naaman and his crew come through Israel because why would you let the enemy come through with swords and men and money and all that stuff? Doesn't make sense, right? It's like, oh, you just want to go see the prophet? Sure, right? So Elisha hears this and he goes, hey, don't worry, send him to me. And I'll show you that there's still a prophet in Israel. That is so much confidence. I don't have that much confidence for making eggs. Right? If you come over to my house and I'm making breakfast in the morning, I'm like, hey, how do you want your eggs? Do you want them scrambled over medium? Scrambled. (laughs) Or scrambled. Right? Because if you ask for a medium egg, I'm like, oh, Lord. Oh, man, right? I don't have that much confidence for eggs. And he is talking about spiritual matters where he's like, send them to me, and I'll show you there's still a prophet in Israel. That is such an awesome way to live your life. And so Naaman comes down. He goes to the prophet, and the prophet Elisha doesn't even see him. I mean, I don't like when the doctor's late to my appointments. And Elisha doesn't even show up. He sends uh, his servant out there and tells Naaman, the servant tells Naaman, hey, Elisha's busy, but he knows you're here. What he's saying is, go down to the river, and I want you to dunk seven times. Okay? Now, this is where we're going to pick up the story in verse 11. Actually, I'm going to go back to verse... Uh, 11. I was right the first time. (laughs) So Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that we would surely come out, he would surely come out to me, stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Makes sense. Are not the Abana and Farafar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I have washed in them and been cleansed? So he turned and went off in rage. Now, the Jordan River is not a very clean river. These other two rivers that he mentions in Damascus are. So if you're Naaman, you know, and you think that God's going to fix your life in a particular way, some of y'all preaching preaching for me now. (laughs) Now, I know not this church, other people in other churches, maybe myself included, sometimes I think that if I show up like Naaman showed up with some people, with some money to the right person, then God's going to fix my life in the right way, and the right way is the way I want him to fix my life. 
And we look for miracles where God will often call us to faithfulness. And it's like, Lord, give me my miracle. And he's like, pray. We're like, give me my miracle. He's like, pray. Give me my miracle. Forgive. Fix them, Jesus. Love them. Right? And we don't like, we're like Naaman. We don't like it when God doesn't do what we wanted him to do. Right? It's like, I paid my tithe. I volunteered. I did my stuff. I even let the pastor come to dinner at my house. <laughs> right? But Naaman doesn't get what he wants. He doesn't get it. I mean, and, and I know, like, you guys don't feel this way. Again, this is other churches. <laughs> you know, but we don't like it when we don't get what we want. I mean, if you've got a hospital visit and Tim shows up, you're like, where's Josh? <laughs> <laughs> Right? <laughs> but what if Tim's the one who's supposed to be there? Amen. What if Tim's life experience is the one that matches with the life experience you're going through, and that's the thing that God wants to put together? But we let our expectations of who's in charge get in the way of what God wants to do. Because <laughs> Naaman shows up, and he wants the prophet to wave his hands. And do the thing and make him clean. And here's the thing, he's not far off because Elisha followed a prophet named Elijah. And Elijah at one point called down fire from heaven by waving his hands and calling on the name of God and doing the thing. So Naaman knows this. And so he thinks what was done before for somebody else is what God's going to do now for him. But my God is bigger than redundancy. My God doesn't have to do the same thing the way it was done the first time for somebody else. He's got something specific for me. And so Elisha followed Elijah. Now, Elijah did how many miracles? Anybody know? Eight. Do you know how many Elisha does? Because he got a double portion. He gets 16 This is miracle number 10. You want to know why Elisha has the confidence that he has? He's seen Elijah's miracles, and he's already seen God do it nine times here. And so where Naaman comes in with his expectation of if I do everything I can do, God will give me what I think is best. Elisha goes, I don't know what's going to happen, but you go down the river seven times, and God's going to do something. Confidence high, control low. If you feel like you have to control your life and your confidence is low, I'm here to tell you, you got to flip it. And usually the flip is surrender. And I don't like this part of my life. I don't like this part of my faith because I try to control a lot of my life for good reason. I try and do good things, raise good kids, be a good leader, do all the good things I'm supposed to do. But when I, my control is high and my confidence is low, that's usually when God's calling me to a moment with him to flip it. And that's what God calls Naaman to. Because Elisha says, go dip in the river seven times. Now, here's what you need to know about water in the river. 
the Jordan River in water all through the Old Testament symbolizes and symbolic of God's presence. All through the Old Testament, time after time after time, the Jordan River is always a symbol of God's promise, God's presence. And so Naaman is being called to God's presence seven times. He's being called to take a dip in his presence seven times. Where Naaman is looking for miracles, this is, I think, the first point I have. Where we look for miracles, right, God usually calls us to faithfulness. Now, Naaman goes down to the river, or he, he runs off, and he's mad, and his servants go up to him, and they say, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, wouldn't you have done it? How much more than when he tells you just wash and be clean? Now, I get why Naaman's mad. When you get a mark on your hand, what's the first thing you do? You wash your hands. Naaman's done this before. He doesn't want to wash in a dirty river. I've washed in clean water. You're asking me to do something dumb. I don't want to go do something dumb. But his servants go, I mean, I'll say this. How many of you think that sometimes what the pastor or the church asks you to do is kind of dumb? Right? I don't want to go to nursery. Well, why don't you go to nursery and see what happens? Go dip a little bit, right? You get some boogers on you, but it'll be fine. I'll wash off. <laughs> right? But he's done this. He's washed. He doesn't want to do something redundant again and again. And so his servants talk him out of it. And they say, if he would have asked you to do something crazy, wouldn't you have done it? Right? I know we would all do it. If I got up here and I said, listen, the key to your breakthrough is you give $300 right here. You walk around the church six times and you stand on your head and spit over your shoulder. You'd be like, worth a shot. <laughs> Because we would rather do something new that might work than something redundant that has worked. And this is where Naaman is. And, that, and this is a real thing. I felt God put it on my heart this morning. You guys are building a new church building, right? Awesome. Great idea. It's new. It's fresh. I've seen many churches, though, build buildings for people that they've never prayed for. I've seen, I've seen them build youth rooms for students that they don't even like, for schools that they've never entered, for families that they've never helped. One is a dream because it's exciting and new, and then another one is faithfulness. And when you match faithfulness with a dream, it's a miracle. Yeah. Let that be a miracle, not just a dream. Let there be structure and prayer and love and compassion that when you walk into the building, you already have the people that are ready to use it instead of finding people to fill empty hallways, right? Let us be people who are faithful first and then let God bring the miracle, right? And so this is where Naaman is. And, and so finally they talk him through it. He's like, fine, I'll do it. And I don't imagine that when he went to the river to dip, that he did it with a smile on his face. You know, I think of when my wife proves me wrong, right? I'm, I have to do the dip. There's dishes in the sink. And she's like, if you do them now, you won't have to do them when we come back late. And I'm like, well, that makes sense. And I'd never walk to the sink and go, thank you, darling wife, love of my life. You are the best. I'm so thankful that you've showed me the air of my, what do I do? All of us husbands, right? 
So I imagine Naaman goes to the river with the same kind of energy. He goes to the river and he's like, see guys, I'm in the water. I'm in the water. There, I dipped. I'm in the water. I dipped once. How many times? Seven times. Fine. I'll dip a second time. Fine. And then, okay, here I go. A third time. And then how many? Seven times? Okay. A fourth time. A fifth time. And I think on three, four, five, I think something starts to happen internally. Because here's the point I really want you guys to get. Where we look at the physical, God looks at the eternal. Because you wonder what I think happened on, on, on dip two and three and four? I think obedience began to line up with faithfulness. And I think faithfulness began to line up with hope. And I think hope began up to line with God's call. And I think things inside his soul started to shift on dip four, five, six, and seven. When he comes out. Because when we are faithful, God meets us in the faithfulness. The thing you are grinding through right now is producing something in you for later. Don't get so caught up on the later that you miss the faithfulness of the now. Because when he comes out of the water, he doesn't get up and rejoice that he's cleansed or rejoice that he's healed. It says he came up, his flesh was restored. It was that of like a young boy. And in verse 15, but Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God, stood before him and said this. Now I know that there is no God except for the God of Israel. When he dipped in the water for physical healing, God shifted his soul forevermore. We can get caught up on that physical thing, the breakthrough that we're looking for, and we miss the spiritual work that God is doing in our life. I am a chief sinner of this. God, would you give me the thing I asked for? He's like, no, I need you to dip again. I need you to come to my presence again. I'm like, that's not what I want. (laughs) See, the point of this passage is this. That even in the midst of disobedience, even in the midst of disobedience, God responds to faithfulness no matter the person. That's why when we read in Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 and it says, let us not become weary in doing good for at a proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give Some of you are on dip number two, and you're tired. Some of you are on dip number three and four, and you're weary. And can I let you know that is okay. But God calls us to dip again. There's two people in this story that I want to highlight real quick. The first one is obviously Naaman. And sometimes we come to a service like this, and we're like Naaman, We're upset because we're doing redundant, boring things that are limited by our own abilities. Well, pastor, I can't do this because I I can't give that much money or I can't serve that much. My time is just so constrained and I can't do this. I can't do that. There's no way. Well, you're right. You can't. If If it relied on our own strength, we're not very strong. If it relied on our own wisdom, we're not that smart. If we're relying on our own finances, we're not that rich. I don't care who you are. 
So let's give up that idea that we got to do it. Naaman came prepared, but his preparation meant nothing. He he came prepared, ready to kind of back the prophet into a miracle. And instead, the prophet said, his presence is what you need. This whole sermon came around because at camp this year, there's 300 kids at an altar like this. And they're crying. They're snotting all over the floor. And I've been in this network, I've been at camp for like eight years now. And so I've seen these kids go from 12 to 20, right? I've seen kids graduate out of youth ministry and I've prayed with these kids. And and this day I was praying with some of them and I was praying for the same stuff we prayed for four years ago. I was praying for their families. I was praying for addiction. I was praying for breakthrough. I was praying for their depression, anxiety, hope, school. And I was mad. I walked to the back of the room and I said, why, God, haven't you fixed it? Why haven't you fixed their family? Why haven't you broke? Why haven't you done what you said you'd do? I got mad. I said, they're here again and again and again. And God broke my heart in that moment and he shifted the word again because he said, did I meet him here last time? I said, yes, you did. Did I give him peace last time? Yeah, you did. Did I take them to a new place last time? Yeah, God, you did. Watch me do it again. Because Elisha is the other person in this story. And Elisha knew God would do it because he'd seen God do it. And he showed Naaman the truth with confidence. Some of you are like Naaman this morning and you're struggling. You want that breakthrough. And I want to call you in a minute to just dip in his presence for a little bit. Then there's others of you in the room where you've seen God work. And your job is to look into somebody's mess and to go, I've seen God do it before. He's going to do it again. I've seen him bring fire from heaven. Now you go dip in the water. I don't know what it's going to be like but I know he's going to do it. And what happens is when we see trials and problems, we then can get excited about a problem. What kind of crazy stuff is that? Because I can get excited when I see someone working through it and I go, oh man, when you see God do it, you are going to freak out. When you see God do it, You're not even going to care about your mortgage. You're going to know that God is so good. He deserves everything. Because when Naaman came out, if you read the rest of the verse, he says, can I give you money? And Elisha says, no. Can I give you men? Elisha says, no. Can I give you a gift? Elisha says, no. He goes, then can I take as much earth with me from here and take it home? And I promise I'll never serve another God again. He says, can I take as much of this presence that I found in this place and can I take it with me? Some of you are at at that place like Elijah, like Naaman, where you've got to take the presence that you have felt in this moment and you need to take it with you. And when other people come around, aren't you nervous? I'm going to stand on this mound of dirt that I brought. I might not remember what it was like, but I've got a memory from when he helped me. Because here's the thing, every kid that was at that altar that night 
no matter what happens, we'll be able to look back in their life and say, God met me here. I may not have the best theology, but I know God met me here. I may not read my Bible this week, but I know that God met me here. So my, my, my question to you is, what are you going to do in between the moments? Can we be people that did? Just take a moment in his presence. So there's a song called Do It Again, and I want to sing it as a congregation. And uh, here's how I want to do it, though. There's some of you who feel like Naaman, and I really want you to take a moment and let this moment be a moment. If you need a moment with Jesus, prayer team, can you come forward wherever you're at? If you just need a moment where you're like, man, I don't feel like it, but I'm just going to take a moment to say, God, meet me here. I just want the verse that they're going to sing, I just want you to sing it and let it be your prayer. And then halfway through the song, I'm going to call on all of you in the room who have seen God do a mighty work. And I'm going to call you to be like Elisha. And I want you to sing and pray that you've seen God move mountains. You see him do it again. So can you stand your feet with me as the band begins to lead us?
It talks about I've seen you move mountains. So if you've seen God do something before, and there's someone in your life that needs a mountain move, worship for them. It's not about you this time. Worship for them, right? I want you to say, I've seen you move it before. God, I'll see you do it again. And this is how we're going to end it, and we'll pray after this. But as a church, let's intercede for the people in our lives. I've seen
Don't forget, we'll start a new time series next week. Have a great Sunday.